Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 5 of X-Lapse The Nation, where we're going to take a look at the penultimate chapter of this event miniseries, but it is not the penultimate episode of this program. We're going to be uh, taking a look at some uh, epilogue pieces once uh, the miniseries is out of the way. And uh, and on the subject of epilogues, uh, we might just have to break open a past Sunday special series and Phoenix Resurrects Lapsed because, uh, well, you see, there is an epilogue to that. There's a, a bridging chapter to that between the miniseries and X-Men Red. It's in the X-Men Red Annual, which I really didn't want to cover because I thought it was awful, but maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that. Let me know what you think if, uh, if I should uh, venture into uh, someone throwing a hot dog at Nightcrawler, uh, a, a hot dog that tastes like mustard and bigotry. Uh, maybe not, maybe not. Anyway, let's get into the issue we're going to discuss today. This is Extermination number 4. Had a December 2018 cover date. The story's called Extermination, part 4 of 5. Written by Ed Brisson with layouts by Pepe Larez. Pencils by Ario An- Anandito. Uh, inks, Dexter Vines. Colors, Eric Archinaga. Letters, VCs, Joe Sabino. Edits, Shan White Sabolski. Cover price $3.99. And this one went on sale on Halloween of 2018. Now let's start with the cover because it is a pretty great cover here. Um, This is an homage to X-Men number 137 from September 1980. This is the, I mean, you know it if you see it. It's the Phoenix Must Die cover. You got Scott and Gene and like they're holding fast here. They're under fire and uh, it says Phoenix Must Die. This one says Summers Must Die, and it features Jean in her familiar spot, but Cyclops ain't there. Instead, it's Kid Cable. Now, they do attempt to make the trade dress look retro as well, but, I mean, they do. It works, but it's a bit anachronistic to the cover that they're homaging here. Um, If you're familiar with Marvel Comics in the 80s, you might remember, like, the big, like, empty M shape that they'd use where, like, they'd stick the issue number into one leg of the M and the price would be in there, and then, you know, they'd stick the comics code stamp. That's where that would go, but that was more like a mid-80s thing than an early-80s thing, and this is homaging a 1980 issue. Still, though, it makes for a very, very striking cover, and I really do like it. I like it a lot. Um, I thought this was a variant. Because, you know, that's kind of what they do with variants. They do the homages and stuff, but this looks to be the actual, you know, the prime cover for uh, Extermination Number 4, and I really, really like it. Now, we open the book, right? And here's something we don't usually talk about, but we will today. It's uh, the advertisement on the inside front cover. And I never really talk about the ads in this show, but... 
This one's for the launch of that weekly Disassembled Era Uncanny X-Men volume, which I still kind of have trouble reconciling a timeline for, right? I don't know where everything fell into place, what books were going, what books stopped, when books stopped, because it looks like red went a little longer than blue and gold, and I don't know when black happened, and uh, then there was that other X-Force volume that comes out of this, and it's really, really hard for me to just reconcile this timeline, which is so weird, considering that it, uh, you know, to be completely honest, I, I wasn't away that long. I was gone for around two years, and boy, what a two years it was. Um, now, if nothing else, doing these Sunday specials is making me get a better feel for the order in which these stories occurred here. Uh, I would have never known where, uh, you know, Phoenix Resurrection happened and when <laughs> where this went in. So uh, doing this is actually kind of helpful. Now, I do remember being momentarily excited for the launch of this disassembled era, simply for the fact that we'd be out of the color era, and we'd actually have a volume of Uncanny back on the shelves, because it never really feels right when we don't have one. Even now, as I record this, we're in the Dawn of X, you know, X of Swords era, and we don't have an Uncanny X-Men. You know, X-Men Volume 5 did launch with the legacy numbering that continued from Uncanny X-Men, but we don't know if that's legit, we don't know if that was a mistake, we don't know if that's something that'll ever be referenced again, because, uh... We're dealing with a lot of legacy books here. I mean, every book we've got on the list here is a legacy book. It's a book that has prior volumes, and we're not using legacy numbering in the X-Men books right now. So it's, yeah, kind of weird. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But uh, I did pre- pre-order the first issue of uh, Uncanny, I believe it was Uncanny Volume 5. Um, before, I-, I didn't even read the solicit because I, I don't read the solicits. You know, I try not to spoil myself on anything that's yet to come. But this meant that I didn't realize that this was a weekly series. And I didn't realize that it was being written by committee. And I didn't realize that uh, a lot of the issues were going to be a little bit higher in price. So by the time I got the thing, I knew all that, and I was beyond disinterested. So I kind of just set it aside. I flipped through it. Didn't care for it enough to actually head out to a comic store and buy the issues that I forgot to pre-order. So, it's set. I have since gone and filled in the entire run, but that's just something that I do because I am an idiot. Alrighty, how about we get into the story now? Let's do this here. We open at the Pequod, which is Ahab's, you know, helicarrier dealing. Now, Ahab, he's flanked by his hounds, Nightcrawler and Old Man Logan, as well as Maxime and Manon. They're, uh being directed to Cerebro so they can ensure that young Scott Summers is, in fact, dead. Last issue, uh, Nightcrawler was there, and he bamfed him out into, you know, the deepest parts of the ocean. Gene and company somehow got him out of there, and for all we know, or for all Ahab knows, he's dead or alive, and he'd like to confirm it. Now, the Navigator informs our baddie that they're right above the place, you know, Cerebro, and uh, Ahab commands that they submerge feel like uh, this isn't a responsible use of panels here. We're, we're just spending a lot of time on, like, uh, a thing going underwater. I don't know. We shift scenes from here to the Xavier Institute for Mutant Education and Outreach, where Cannonball arrives on the scene carrying a KO'd Shatterstar. He reconnoiters with the X-Men, and they share the stories of everything that had gone down last issue. Iceman comments that Old Man Logan and Rachel left with Ahab, so I guess I missed that last part. I... Didn't even notice Rachel. Um, 
Well, Iceman's got no reason to lie to us, so we'll take his word for it. Kitty decides that, hey, guess what? They're going after Ahab, which, I mean, no duh. I'm surprised she didn't send them, like, in eight different directions to find something before they get to Ahab, but, uh, hey, time is of the essence here. We've only got one issue left. Scene shift, the cable safe house. Like we left off last issue, X-Force, they are there. And it's like a scene out of the A-Team here, just tons of bullets flying, but nobody getting hit. Jean decides, finally, to step in and freezes everybody in place. Now, she wants some answers before there are any, any casualties. And so she asks Kid Cable what he's going on about here. He assures her that his only goal here is to save everybody. When asked why he killed old man Cable, well, the kid corrects Gene, claiming that he simply retired old man Cable because he'd grown too soft. And he accepts that one day the same thing will happen to him. He reiterates that his elder self was supposed to be keeping the timeline in order, which, uh, hmm. I mean, Cable kind of jumped in and out of time all the time. Uh, He was kind of an anomaly in and of himself. Uh, uh, Let's just leave that one alone, because uh, I figure we could probably be here all day poking holes in that one. Kid Cable informs Gene that Ahab is only here to ensure that one of the time-displaced original five dies, because that would fundamentally change everything that comes after. You know, if they don't go back as a unit, well, the future will change, which, you know... Totally stands to reason, and it's also a, uh, I guess it's clarification or confirmation that the time-displaced original five are from the 616, then? Okay, um, hmm. Now, this kind of begs the question here, uh, why wasn't present-day Hank McCoy, or, hell, any of the other X-Men worried about the kids dying and changing the timeline to this point? I mean, you'd figure they'd be treating the kids like Fabergé eggs or something, right? Priority friggin' one should have been sending them home and not sending them on missions where they could die, which is what we've gotten for, you know, six or seven years at this point. Now, Jean still needs a bit of convincing, and so Kid Cable removes his telepathy blocker and lets her read his mind, and so she does. And it's basically an affirmation as to everything he's said. If Ahab is to succeed, everything would change. So Gene comes around to Kid Cable's point of view. Boom Boom, however, still ain't buying it. After all, look what Kid Cable did to Angel. He mutilated the poor boy, ripped his wings off. But yeah, uh, there was a, you know, a bit of a method to this madness here. Um, Just like we guessed last episode... Warren can't be sent back to the past with cosmic fire wings, and so Kid Cable had to set him up with some Rankin brand feather wings. Young Hank wakes up. I, I think it's Young Hank. Uh, it seems kind of skinny, but it's either Young Hank, it's Skinny Hank, or a young Bobby with miscolored hair. Whoever it is, he wants to help Cable. Scene shift to Cerebro. The Pequod arrives, and Ahab releases the hounds, and yeah, Rachel is there. I have no idea how I missed her the first time. Kid Cyclops, or as the cover states, Summers must die. And so we fight. How Nightcrawler bamfs into the room where young Scott is recovering from his near-drowning last issue. But before he can do anything, he's shot in the chest by a trank dart, courtesy of Kid Cable, X-Force, and the rest of the time-displaced original five. 
Cyclops gets himself caught up a bit on everything that's gone on, but still decides that he's gonna take the fight to Ahab anyway, due to what he had done to Bloodstorm. Remember, Ahab was responsible for Bloodstorm's death back in in issue 1. And so, Cyclops charges at Ahab, at which time Ahab rears back with his spear, and we conclude our penultimate chapter with Cyclops being impaled on said spear, which is kind of like stuck like a dart in a wall right now. So we see this only from behind, like Cyclops' legs are dangling. Uh, So we really don't know the extent of his injuries. It is quite bloody, however. And that is where we leave it. Next episode, we will wrap up the event miniseries and uh, hopefully send some kids back to the past. So let's talk about this issue here. Um, Pretty good uh, penultimate chapter, right? I mean, a lot of our questions are answered here. A lot of my questions are answered, uh, as in kind of getting a feel for exactly where these kids come from. Because uh, I feel like when uh, Mr. Bendis decided he was done with the X-Men, he decided that he didn't give a rat's ass what happened to the X-Men after he left. He kind of made a mess of things in just dropping dropping ideas on his editors and dropping ideas in this shared corner of the Marvel Universe and then just being like, see you later, guys. I, I think there's a Defenders Netflix show, so I got to go write Defenders now. It felt like he uh, really didn't stick the land. He didn't stick any of the landings for his X-Men run, which is unfortunate because I think I mentioned this during the first episode of x Nation. When all new X-Men started, I, I quite enjoyed it for the first bit. You know, I thought Bendis had a pretty good uh, pretty good ear for for the dialogue there, uh, for the characters there. I thought it was a pretty decent job he did, especially with the... You know, we went into that with a lot of doubt. <laughs> you know, it was one of those stories where it's just like, yeah, that's not going to work. You know, as soon as we heard about it, I remember... The ex-contingent on the uh, on the internet were just like, no, <laughs> that's not going to work. And it's kind of like uh, when Dan Slott was like, hey, uh, Dr. Octopus is going to be Spider-Man. And we were all like, no, no. And then we read it and was like, wow, this is fantastic. So we start all new X-Men. And it's like, okay, this might work. I-, I don't think it was nearly as fantastic as Superior Spider-Man, but it was like, okay, this could work. I think we got something here. But then eh, they change these characters to the point where it's like, well, you can't send them back. You really can't send them back if unless they're not from our timeline, which is kind of the feeling we got toward the end of the... Uh, was it Dennis Hopeless? I think it was Dennis Hopeless who did the uh, second volume of All New X-Men, where the X-Men, the original five, were sent back to where they came from and saw that they were already there. So we all assumed that, oh, okay, well, these are from a different dimension. And then all new went away, was replaced with blue, and then we get here. So I I think that, uh, you know, many, many landings were uh, insufficiently stuck. Uh, So it's nice to actually get a little bit of clarification here. As you guys know, I haven't read any of the X-Men Blue books uh, outside the first, uh, the first arc there. So I don't know if they've been hinting that they are from the 616 during that. I don't know if it's something that we're supposed to know. I really don't know. I don't know if Cable, Kid Cable is coming back to, get, to verify this for all of us. For, for all I know, that's this is news to everybody as this issue is coming out. But I'm happy to finally have a better idea that uh, these kids are. From the 616 He's, uh, Cable's making sure that they 
are kind of the same as they were when they were to- when they were plucked out. And I gotta assume that this will wrap up with uh, something of a mind wipe, right? Because, like we've been talking about for this entire series to this point, with our little what-if game, you know? Like, what if they still had this knowledge and they went back in time and they were from our, uh, you know, mainstream Marvel universe? What would change? I, I gotta figure that there will be some, some form of mind wipe to uh, wrap up this miniseries. So, we'll worry about that next time, though. Uh, something that I'm interested in, in seeing if there's any sort of uh, any sort of follow-up on is like are people going to take Beast to task for bringing them to the present in the first place? Since I mean, Cable the way Cable puts it here, if any of them were to die, everything would change. So instead of having to just protect like a single person, you're you're protecting a, a small team of children and. Uh, it seems like Beast really didn't think that through. I guess the entire point was to change the present anyway, right? By having Scott see what he would turn into. Still, though, I mean, they, these kids should have been, like, wrapped in bubble wrap and, like, kept in a room somewhere until they figured out how to get them back. If that whole butterfly effect, if one of them passes, it's just everything changes so it's i hope that there's some follow-up there i'm not counting on there being any follow-up but i hope there is i hope uh, beast is called uh taken a task for his uh, irresponsible use of the time stream here now more of uh, what kid cable said here um he mentions that his older self was like some sort of a guardian of the time stream i'm not buying it i'm really not buying that because like, his whole gimmick early on was that he was sent back to the present from the future to stop this apocalyptic future, right? I mean, I understand it, but let's not paint him as a, a guardian of the time stream here. Um, Kid Cable points out that, like, the young X-Men were, like, the one thing that the old man Cable let slide. And it's like, well, his entire existence has been letting things slide because he's changing the present to change the future So I don't think we're that hard and fast With these rules here But I suppose we need some sort of a Justification for Removing Old Man Cable So I guess it's as good as any I guess I don't know Now despite any of my quibbles here I still very much enjoyed this And I'm very much still engaged And really looking forward to seeing How this wraps up next week So I'd still definitely recommend Checking this uh, miniseries out If you're interested in seeing how Well I, I don't even know if the original five Go back at the end of the next issue I'm assuming they do I'm assuming they do I don't know when Blue ended I don't know when this ended So We'll see. We'll see when we get there. But uh, I would still definitely recommend checking this one out. Um, probably worth noting that uh, Pepe Larraz only did layouts for this issue, and it kind of shows. Uh, there are some pages that really, really look sharp, and then there are others that are a little bit looser than what we're accustomed to from uh, from Pepe Larraz here. Nothing against uh, the penciler, or the inker in this case, but... Uh, it was definitely a little different from what we're used to, but not bad by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that's all I've got to say about this penultimate issue of uh, Extermination. And I would still love to hear your thoughts on this series and on the kids, on the original five. 
Whatever the case, uh, please consider reaching out to me. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics or send me an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join our little Facebook group, 90s X-Men, on Facebook. And you can listen to a whole bunch of comic podcast stuff at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I think that will do it for this week. I want to thank you all so, so much for choosing to spend a little bit of time with me on this fine day. It really, really means a lot. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you all again real soon. See ya.